I hope you uh, picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you were coming in, and you'll notice right at the beginning of those sermon notes is a, a, a brief focus on the Lottie Moon offering, and it'll be up here on the uh, big screen as well. And I've emphasized these uh, truths in the past, but it's good to remind ourselves as we enter this time of offering. Uh, but the theme this year for the offering is because of who He is. And, of course, that is why we do what we do as believers. It's out of worship and our honor and love for Jesus. And for that reason, we do pray. Uh, we do give to offerings like the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions. And we go and uh, we send uh, missionaries out. Uh, the national goal is $175 million this year. It is the largest single a missions offering in the world, and our church goal is $15,000, but I'm praying that God will just pour out a spirit of grace giving and generosity that we will uh, double that and uh, far exceed our goal. And then what I've done uh, each year uh, now for uh, quite a while, uh, just to help you in your giving, I've given uh, suggested levels for giving, and I've asked you uh, to look over this list of suggested levels of giving, and uh, you pick the level that you believe God would lead you uh, to give. And uh, this is just some of the ways that your uh, money is used. There are just hundreds and hundreds of other ways, but these were the suggested levels of giving that I suggested this year that I'm asking every person in the church fellowship to pick one of these levels and give accordingly. If you give $16, that's the lowest level that I suggest. Uh, uh, $16 would get a Bible in the Farsi language that would be used in evangelization in Europe. Uh, the next level would be $39. Uh, for $39, uh, that would provide food for an entire week uh, for one refugee family in the Middle East, knowing that they're not only going to receive that food, but in providing that food, it will provide an opportunity for our missionaries to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, the $50 level of giving would provide a solar audio player for unreached people groups in South Asia. And then you may want to jump up to the $141 level of support. And that would support a missionary family, the entire family, uh, for one day. That's the average amount that it uh, takes to support our close to 5,000 missionaries that are spread throughout the entire world. And then $350 level, that would provide 100 SD uh, cards to share the gospel in the sub-Saharan uh, Africa. Uh, $500, the next level, uh, would actually produce, provide our IMB, the International Mission Board, the ability to produce an evangelistic video to reach unreached people groups in Asia. And then for $750, that would actually provide for a flight uh, for five medical personnel uh, plus medicines and supplies to a rural clinic in North, the North African desert. And then the uh, highest level of, uh, that I've uh, suggested this year, although you're more than welcome to go beyond this, would be $988 uh, to support one missionary family for a week. That's the amount of money it takes to support a missionary family for an entire week, $988. I've shared with you uh, that will be the level that uh, my family will participate in. We will give uh, that amount. And I'm asking that God's going to raise up at least 10 other individuals in our church family 
that will give uh, that uh, level of, of giving. So I just encourage you as a church family, please continue to pray, uh, knowing the value of this ministry and uh, of this offering. And in light of the Lottie Moon em- emphasis, I thought it would be good to share a message this morning on how to spend my life for the cause of Christ. How to spend my life for the cause of Christ. Because we're talking about more than giving our money. We're talking about giving our lives to accomplish God's purposes and to make Him known to a lost world. So look at the very first verse in your sermon notes, and that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which reads, For we, referring to believers, referring to followers of Christ, for we are God's, what's it say? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I would suggest that with your pen or your pencil, you just circle that word workmanship, the word workmanship. In the Greek text, the word is poema, from which we get our word poem. Uh, The word literally means a work of art, a masterpiece. As a believer, you are God's masterpiece. That is how God looks upon you. That's how valuable you are to God. That's why He has invested everything into your life, the sacrifice of His Son, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to transform your life, that you would be His masterpiece. And just like a beautiful piece of art magnifies the greatness of the artist, our lives are intended to magnify the greatness of God's grace, power, and love. On August 22nd, uh, 1970, uh, 19, uh, I'm sorry, 1741, August 22nd, 1741, a man named uh, Charles Jennings uh, delivered a collection of Bible verses uh, to a composer friend whose name uh, was George Handel. And of course, I think you know where I'm going with this, of course, Handel's Messiah. And what follows was recorded by author Hertha Polly. As soon as Jennings had left, the master, referring to Handel, started reading the text he had received. The words, Handel noticed, were all taken from the Scriptures. But in arranging the quotations, the master felt Jennings had outdone himself. The words seemed to sing by themselves. Handel started writing at once. He wrote so fast that the ink had scarcely dried on one page before he started another. The score was covered with blotches, but the master did not notice. He forgot the whole world around him. Whether I was in my body or out of my body as I wrote the Messiah, Handel said later, I know not. For 24 days, he remained in a little front room on the first floor of his house near Hanover Square in London, setting down thousands of notes to Jennings' biblical excerpts. At regular intervals, Handel's servant brought him food, but the master left it untouched. Sometimes the servant stood in silent wonder as the master's tears fell on a page. And mingled, 
with the ink as he penned his notes. And once the servant found the master sobbing with emotion. He had just finished the hallelujah chorus. I thought I saw all heaven before me, Handel told his choir boys, and the great God himself. Now, beloved, Handel's Messiah has enraptured audiences now for 274 years. But what if Handel had rolled up his composition of the Messiah and locked it, in a way, locked it away in a cabinet never to be shared with others? What a tragedy. What a tragedy that would have been. And similar to Handel's Messiah, each believer, you, we are God's composition, a masterpiece of God's workmanship. And God saved you. Don't miss this. God saved you to be shared with others. That they would see in you the wonders of God's grace and love and bow to the greatness of God. And that's why it says in Ephesians 2.10 that we were saved to do works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think of the next verse there in your sermon notes, Matthew 5.16. Let your light, what? Shine before men. How? In such a way that they may see your good works. And why? To bring attention to yourself? No, to put the spotlight on God and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Look at the next verses from the Gospel of John. The first statement was made by Jesus at the very beginning of His ministry. He said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Then Jesus lived his entire life in order to make the very next statements, which he said at the end of his life. He said, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. In the same way, God wants you to surrender your life to accomplish his plan for your life. The goal of every believer... The goal of every follower of Christ should be to come to the end of their lives and be able to say, like Jesus, looking into the face of God, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, what will it take? What will it take for you to be able to come to the end of your life and be able to make that statement? Well, you're going to have to give your attention, your commitment, and your devotion to the next four points in your sermon notes. And look at point number one. I must abandon all distractions. I must abandon all distractions so that I can stay focused on God, focused on His plan, focused on accomplishing the works that He prepared in advance for me to do. And circle the word distracted in this next verse, Luke 9, 62. Anyone, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. You know, there are a lot of distractions that can keep you from spending your life for God. But you know what probably the biggest distraction is? It's just developing your own plans, totally independent 
of God. You know, most people think, you know, once I figure out what I want to do with my life and then do it, I'll be happy. Wrong. Reality is you will remain unsatisfied until you discover and walk in God's plan for your life. You need to pray that God will turn you away from wanting any other plan but His plan. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Circle anything. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way. Are you willing to abandon anything that would keep you from accomplishing God's plan? Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 19. It says, The attractions of this world, the delights of wealth, the search for success, and the lure of nice things come in and crowd out God. Now, beloved, listen very carefully. There is nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with success or having nice things in and of themselves. Those can be wonderful blessings from God. But it is wrong when the acquiring of wealth, when the acquiring of success or nice, nice things becomes the primary pursuit of your life, crowding God out. You know, it's at, just to give you one example how this happens, it is estimated that if just the members of our Christian churches in America were to truly tithe, if they would just give 10% of their income to the work of the church, that there would be $139 billion more a year to support God's work around the world, to reach those unreached people groups that desperately need to hear the name of Jesus. The tragedy of the church is, the tragedy of the church in America is that we've become so busy trying to increase our standard of living that we have lost investing in the cause of Christ. And that is wrong. It is wrong when increasing your standard of living becomes more important than investing in the cause of Christ. And what is the end result? An unfruitful life. Having no impact on this world for the cause of Christ. And when all is said and done, a life wasted, chasing after the temporary thrills of this world. So ask yourself, ask yourself, Use this as an opportunity right now where you are in your life to do a spiritual inventory, an evaluation. What is crowding out God in my life? Ask yourself that. God, is there anything in my life that's crowding you out? See, we need to constantly inspect our lives to identify those things which distract us in our walk with God. And then we need to remove those distractions. And there are two very important questions that every believer, every follower of Christ must ask. And you need to ask this on a regular basis. First, how badly, how badly do I really want to be and do what God means for me to be and do? I mean, do I really want it more than anything else? Ask yourself that. Can you honestly say this morning, that my greatest passion, my greatest pursuit in life is Jesus, to know Him and to make Him known to others, to fulfill the plan He has for my life. And then the second question is, what am I willing to give up in order to see that happen? 
Because in reality, you can't have it all. There's something you're going to have to give up. You cannot spend your life on God and hold on to everything else. And you ask, well, why should I abandon all other distractions to spend my life for God? Why would any person do that? Why would they make that commitment? Why would they make that sacrifice? Be devoted to such a cause? Well, look at the next verse in your notes. Mark 8, 35. Jesus said, only those, and notice that word only, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to really live. But I must not only abandon all distractions. Look at that second point. I must, of course, adopt God's purpose as my primary goal and objective in life. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Probably just the, the, the briefest, simplest statement on what a real Christian is. Jesus said in Mark 1, 17, He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, this is what I want you to do in your notes with your pen or your pencil. Over follow me, just write God's plan. In other words, you want to ask, what's God's plan for my life? It's to follow Jesus. It is just that simple. It's to trace your life after Jesus. It is to follow in His steps. It is to ask, what would Jesus do in this circumstance, in this trial, in this adversity? (laughs) And then by His power and grace to follow Him in that. So, what is God's plan for my life is to follow me. And then go to the end of that verse. It says, fishers of men, that's God's purpose for your life. God's plan is for you to follow Jesus. God's purpose is for you to be a fisher of men, to make him known to others, to share Jesus with others. Again, he saved you to be a blessing to others. It wasn't about you. It's about him and advancing his cause on planet earth as we submit to his authority to serve his agenda, to seek his approval. And then when it says, I will make you become fishers of men, I will make you put this God's promise. And there you have it. There's the Christian life. What's God's plan for me? It's to follow Jesus. For what purpose? To be a fisher of men, that he would use me to put Christ on display, that others would be drawn to him. And what's God's promise? As I give myself to that plan, as I surrender to accomplish that purpose, he says, Andy, I will make you become that. I will provide the power. I will provide the grace. I will do for you what you could never do for yourself. Look at Acts 20, 24. This is a wonderful statement made by the Apostle Paul that I believe God wants to bring every believer to. He said the most important thing, just stop right there. This is a time of spiritual evaluation, inventory. What's the most important thing in your life? I mean, just be honest. I mean, you can't fool God. 
We're in his presence. What is the most important thing in your life? Well, Paul said, the most important thing is that I complete my mission. You soldiers understand that language. You soldiers know the commitment that's required, the attention, the devotion that's required, the sacrifice that's required. And Paul says the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. Let me ask you, have you ever realized, and it, it just may be something that you've just, it's, you've never thought about. You sort of just missed it. But have you ever realized, young people, for example, you're in the school that you're in, not just to get an education. Or you're on the sports team that you're in. Or the club that you're in. Not just be involved in some extracurricular activity that you enjoy. You have the job that you have, not just to make a living. And you're in the home that you're in, not just to have a comfortable place to live. Your school, your work, your neighborhood, that's your mission field. Your mission field. The world in which you live is the world God is calling you to reach. In other words, God, as a fisherman, He wants you to fish in the pond that He's placed you in. And then, of course, to go wherever He would send you. But first and foremost, just to realize, where has God planted me? And then thank God, no matter how difficult the situation, and ask Him for the grace. Let me blossom where you've planted me right now at this time and chapter in my life that others would see Jesus in me and be drawn to Him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses uh, 18 and uh, 20. It says, Through Christ, God has made peace between us and Himself. And he gave us, not to the angels, not just to the pastors and the staff and the ministers. He's speaking to the church family here. He says, and he gave us the work of telling everyone about the peace we can have with him. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. God is calling you. He's calling you this morning as a believer to accept the mission of reaching for Jesus, the people within your sphere of influence. God is asking you, as he asked Isaiah, who will go for us? Will you answer as Isaiah answered? Here am I, Lord. Send me. And folks, we do not have to make this difficult. I've shared this many times in this pulpit. I am, I am fully convinced, and I give you a guarantee, if you will become intentional and deliberately focused on this area, where you say, yes, my plan, God's plan is for me to follow him, to be a fisher of men, he's going to provide the power and the opportunity, and then what you do, it's just this simple. Start within your sphere of influence, whether it's your neighborhood or your workplace, and just begin praying for those individuals on a regular basis. 
Begin to pray for your neighbors. Begin to pray for those who you work with, those you go to school with, you're on that team with, you're in that club with, or those at the grocery store that you come across, or wherever it might be. You begin praying for them. And then as you pray for them, that God would reach them, that they would come to know Jesus, then you also say, Lord, here am I. I'm your instrument. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you, give me an opportunity to share with them the love and truth of Jesus Christ. And folks, I guarantee you, if you will become deliberate and intentional and begin become focused that way, begin praying that way, God will open doors. There's a young man I've been praying for uh, to come to know Christ. And I began praying in that same fashion, just began praying for him regularly. God provide an opportunity for me. And folks, I didn't have to crash the door down. Do you know just recently that young man, he came to me and he asked, he said, would you mind telling me how you became so devoted to Jesus Christ? He asked me that question. And I had the opportunity just simply to share with him my testimony, how I came to know Christ, how God is continuing to work in my life and challenge him to come to know Jesus as well. Look at the third truth, the third truth. I must appropriate God's power. I must not only abandon all distractions and then adopt God's purpose, it's obvious I must appropriate God's power. We cannot do it in our own strength, in our own wisdom. Uh, look at Second Chronicles 16.9. I love this verse. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Isn't that great? In other words, right now, God's eyes are literally scanning this congregation. And he's looking for those individuals that are being touched by the truth of His Word today. He's looking for that man or woman, that young person, that boy or girl, who says, yes, I want to turn from the distractions of following my own plan. I want to follow your plan. I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a fisher of men. I want to be used by you and so I surrender my life to you, Lord. I, I realize apart from you, I can do nothing. It's only going to be by your power, by your strength, by your grace. But here I am. And folks, when God comes along, a person like that, his eyes stop right there. And a big smile comes on his face. And he's going to meet you. And he's going to meet you in the fashion that we read in the next verse, Second. Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, he's going to say, because my power is made perfect in weakness. Look at Hebrews eleven thirty four. Remember, this was said of all of those great men and women of faith. And it says, concerning them whose weakness was turned into strength. See, what keeps many people from really committing their, their lives to God's plan and purpose is their own sense of inadequacy, this overwhelming sense of fear of inability, uh, just not having what it takes. But you need to understand, that's the very thing that qualifies you, is that inadequacy, is your deficiency. Because God glories in coming into that deficiency, coming into that weakness, and providing the grace and the strength that is needed. I've, I've shared this testimony before, 
But it, it is one of my favorite. I just, I just love this. In the early years of our pregnancy center ministry, uh, God was blessing in a wonderful way, and uh, we had this uh, young uh, housewife who was the mother of uh, several small children, wanted to volunteer for the uh, pregnancy center down the road that we've operated since uh, 1981. And, of course, you know the goal is to uh, reach out in love to women that would find themselves in a problem or a crisis pregnancy, provide alternatives to abortion. But the primary goal of that ministry is what? To reach people for Jesus. To see lives change, transformed, never to be the same again. So she thought that this would be a wonderful outlet of ministry for her. And she had been very involved in the church. Very involved in ministry in the church. But as she came in, began to go through the training. And part of the training is to be taught how to share your faith. She acknowledged the fact that although she had been very involved in ministry in the local church, she had never got outside the walls of the church to really minister to lost people and to share Jesus. And she said, this just scares me to no end. I'm just petrified over this. I think I can handle every other aspect of this ministry. I just don't know if I'll ever be able to do that. And I remember, many of y'all remember our first director, Sarah Bankhead. A great woman of God. And uh, Sarah was uh, training this, uh, this young woman. And, uh, and, she, and this woman was so frightened that she, she was just finding it difficult to make the transition uh, to, to, into the counseling room on her own. And uh, Sarah told me one day, you know, Andy, she's, she's really overtrained at this point. There's very little we can do. It's, just, it's a matter of her taking that, that step uh, despite her fear and, and, and trusting God. Well, this uh, 16-year-old girl came into the pregnancy center, and Sarah Bankhead, this director, was very experienced, and she knew that this would be the perfect client for this young volunteer counselor to begin with. She, she could tell this young girl was really broken, that she was not going to be hard and difficult. She was tender, sensitive. And so she reluctantly got this brand new trainee to, get, to go into the counseling room, and she went through the procedure that we, she was trained in to deal with issues of the pregnancy and the child, but then how to make the transition and sharing the gospel. And this was, this was this volunteer trainee's own testimony. She said, it got to the point where I needed to make the transition, I knew, to share the gospel. And I, and I knew that this girl was really open and, uh, and because of her brokenness and, and, her, and her need for God. So she said, I just, I just struck out despite my fear, and I began to share. And she said, as I shared with her, I can't tell you how awful I felt. I, I, I felt embarrassed. I felt inadequate. I was stumbling over my words. It was like, this is ridiculous. She said, I thought... Once I get out of this situation, this will be the last time I come back to this ministry. I, this is just not for me. Uh, I mean, sur surely if God called me here, wouldn't I feel a little more different? Wouldn't I feel a little more boldness or adequacy about this? So she goes through the plan of salvation and, and, and just almost unwilling to look at the girl because she was so embarrassed about how she had done and she turned to the girl, and she reluctantly said, Honey, wait, did any of this make any sense to you at all? And the girl goes, Oh, yes. And it you know, just stopped her in her tracks. She said, Would, 
mean, what did you hear me say? <laughs> she wanted to make sure she was here. And the, and the girl repeated it back. And she had a firm grasp on the gospel and what Jesus had done for her, what she needed to do. And then this volunteer account said, well, would you like uh, to invite Jesus Christ into your heart right now? And the girl said, oh, yes. So the girl comes to know Christ. They both walk out of the room. They're both, you know, you have to peel them off the ceiling. They're on cloud nine. Now this timid, frightened woman, she's on a roll. And she says, Sarah, would you mind giving me another client today? And that second client came to know Christ. She had a third client that day. That third client came to know Christ. Now I need to share with you, at that point in the history of our ministry, that had never happened before. Where the same volunteer counselor had three clients come to know the Lord in one shift. That had never happened. And since that time, and we've been in this ministry since, what, 81? That maybe has happened maybe as many as three times in the, in the history. So I don't want you to think it's, a, it's an everyday occurrence. Uh, it's not. But the simple point, this is why I share that story. Did that volunteer counselor, do you think she ever had fruit like that again? Like in one shift? Well, I just shared with you, no. That was the first time it had ever happened. might have happened two other times in the history of the ministry. But here's the point. She was ne- that, that woman was never the same again. Because she learned something that day. She learned that God could use her despite her fear, weakness, and inadequacy. She learned that day as a believer that she could not let fear dictate her walk with God. She learned that if she would step out in faith in obeying God, that God's Spirit would come along her side and provide the strength and the grace that she would be needed. And the Apostle Paul even talked about this. You know, we think Paul was some sort of giant. He never struggled. Well, if you go to the early chapters of 1 Corinthians, he talks about when he first came to Corinth to share the gospel. And he uses these words. He said, I came to you in fear and trembling. The apostle Paul, this giant of 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 man, man for Christ, right in the will of God, had given himself to make Christ known. He said, I came to you. My knees were knocking. I was frightened. I was scared. But if you're familiar with the passage, he didn't stop there. He said, I came to you in fear and trembling, but you experienced the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So here he is, Sharon. He feels fear. He feels inadequate. He feels weak, just like that volunteer counselor did that day at the pregnancy center. But he said, the individual experience the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. So I must abandon all distractions. I must adopt God's purpose for my life. I must appropriate God's power. And then fourth and final, I must adopt, uh, anticipate. I must anticipate God's reward. Yes, I must anticipate God's reward. I think God uh, talks about rewards very often in Scripture to motivate us. Because here's the simple fact that the Scripture teaches. Here it is. How you spend your life is going to determine your reward in heaven. How you... Now, again, do our works get us into heaven? No. We're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man 
should boast. Salvation is a free gift. We lay down our lives and surrender to God to follow His plan, to be a fisher of men and to honor Him out of appreciation, as an act of worship, to honor Him. But He gives us these glorious promises that how I spend my life will determine my reward in heaven. Every minute, listen now, every minute you spend honoring God, every talent you use serving God, every dollar you give to support God's work is an investment that will bring back to you eternal dividends. And also realize that the size of your reward will not be determined by the size of the gift, but by the depth of the sacrifice. Amen? And you know why God set it up that way? To put us all on equal footing. So it doesn't make any difference if you're the wealthiest person in this congregation or you're some little old widow that's on a very small fixed income. See, because it has nothing to do with the size of the gift, but the depth of the sacrifice that determines, that puts us all on equal footing. Now look with me in your sermon notes, and I'm just going to run through these quickly, just for our encouragement, just to motivate us. Six wonderful promises of God's reward. Look at Matthew 16 first, those verses from Matthew 16. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him, what? Deny, that's what? Abandoning distractions. That's all that is. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. What does the cross represent? God's purpose, God's will, God's plan for my life. And what? And follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For the Son of Man, don't miss this, is going to come. And will then Reward every man according to his deeds. The reward doesn't necessarily come in this life. It comes into the next. But he says, I am coming, and I will reward every believer. A reward that's appropriate to the depth of the sacrifice they made in my name. Look at Mark 9, verse 41. And this is very, a very appropriate verse, especially in light of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Jesus said to his disciples, don't miss this, he's speaking to his disciples, who he has sent out to preach the gospel. He says, for whoever gives you, those that I've sent to preach the word, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So he's saying, whatever you give in support to those that have been sent out by God, he says, you're not going to lose that reward. I'm going to give you an eternal dividend on that investment. Look at Luke 6. Here's a couple of verses that encourage us to overcome our fear, knowing that there will be people that will reject our witness. Uh, we will be ostracized. We will be spurned at times. He says, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you, and cast insults at you, and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Notice, for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Why? And leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Look at Matthew 19, verse 29. Jesus says, and everyone 
who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. And then look at these two verses that I've put together from Philippians 4 and 1 Timothy 6. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And then the Timothy passage, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Both of these verses in the context is referring to believers who have been giving money, financial support, material support to those who are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the two words you need to circle or underline is the word account in the Philippians verse and the word foundation in the Timothy passage. Account and foundation. Notice Paul is saying in, in, in Bible times, both of those words were used referring to an investment account that you would establish to make money, just like we do today or, or, or opening up a foundation. And he's saying, I'm giving you a promise that if you give to my work, you are laying up for yourselves an account, you're laying up for yourselves a foundation in heaven that you will enjoy throughout all eternity. And then look at Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. You're not going to be able to take them with you anyway. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Amen? So, you must abandon all distractions, adopt God's purpose, appropriate His power, and then you must anticipate His reward. Now, I want to ask you to do this. Go back to the very beginning of your sermon notes. And in light of what we just shared, go back to those suggested levels of giving. And right now, would you ask God, God, in light of what I've heard from your truth, in light of my surrender to you, accomplish your plan, God, what level of giving would you have me choose this day in terms of my participation in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions, for international missions? And I would encourage you just to circle one of those levels and then you follow through in obedience to God, knowing that He will bless you, knowing that He will encourage you. As we go into our invitation, as I mentioned just a moment ago, if you're an unbeliever, we don't want you to misunderstand. Uh, we don't earn our way into heaven. Again, we're talking about as believers, those who have received the free gift of God's salvation, and it's out of a heart of gratitude, a heart of appreciation, of love, to worship Him because of the great God He is and what He's done for us. That's what motivates us to lay down our lives and surrender and to walk in those works that He has prepared in advance for us to accomplish so possibly you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ. You have no plan that you've committed to in terms of God's plan for your life. But He has a plan for your life. And He desires you to come to know Him. And to know Him in His fullness. As you would know salvation. You know, I, when, when I came to know Christ years ago, uh, prior to my conversion, I was agnostic. And... Uh, and, and when God began to move back into my life, it was just a simple thought. 
you know, if there really is a God, I know what at that I wasn't willing to say even at that point there was, but if there is a God and He did create Andy Merritt, it stands to reason I'll never know any true fulfillment, satisfaction, or joy until I discover and come to know my Creator and the purpose for which He created me. And as an unbeliever, I can challenge you with that. You're just going to continue to wander, wander, always seeking, but never, never knowing fulfillment until you surrender your life to Jesus and you receive the forgiveness that He's offering you, forgiveness from your sin because of His death on Calvary's cross, and you allow Him to come inside of you to control you, and when you begin to walk in His plan. So I would encourage you to make your heart His home and invite Him in. And then believers... What a message in terms of us doing a a spiritual inventory, a spiritual evaluation. And I pray that we'll continue to meditate on these truths. So they're just not truths on a piece of paper, but they become truths burned on our hearts that we live out every day in terms of abandoning the distractions that so easily turn us from God's plan and purpose. And where we become intentional and deliberate in adopting God's purpose Realizing we can't do it on our own. We have to appropriate His power. But as we do that, to also anticipate His reward, knowing that we will not be disappointed. Amen? So please stand as the invitation is extended. I'll be standing at the front to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature. If you desire to unite with the church, uh, come forward and would love to receive you.